this week, we're going to actually be talking about uh, who the Holy Spirit is. And so I'm excited about it. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to read through uh, some scripture, and then we uh, are going to kind of dive into this topic, and hopefully you'll learn something, and hopefully you'll be ministered to. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. This is really an interesting passage. So listen to the narrative here, okay? And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. I'm going to pause because I'm not going to go back into Acts 19 in my teaching. But I just want to point out, Apollos is another teacher that Paul references from time to time. He does not condemn him and say, oh man, you shouldn't be listening to Apollos, okay? All right? But he does acknowledge that there are people who listen to the gospel as Apollos is presenting it, okay? Now watch this interaction with people who are hearing the gospel from what Apollos is teaching, Okay? And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. So they're learning from Apollos. They haven't been instructed on the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't chastise Apollos for this. He doesn't condemn Apollos for this. What does he do? He just is about to correct the information. Verse 4, and Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now watch what happens. The, they, they receive the Holy Spirit, okay? They begin to operate in some miraculous way. Then the rest of 19 gives us a picture of what the world in Corinth looked like at the time. This is, this is, this is good if you'll think about it. The gospel, some por partial portion of the gospel is being presented. The Holy Spirit is not being talked about. Paul says, well, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. Now, what's happening in Corinth where part of the gospel is being presented? We find demon possession. That leads into a protest because there are different religions, and these people feel like you're not respecting my religion, and it ultimately ends in a riot. And so my question as we go into this text today is, could our view of the Holy Spirit impact our quality of life? And I think the answer to that is going to be yes. Let's pray. Father, my, my prayer today is that I present the word as you would have it presented. I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister. I pray that he would speak to our lives, that we would be encouraged, Lord. It is so easy for us to bring our own cultural influences into the text. And Father, I want to I ask today, Lord, that, that you hear my heart and that you help us to look into what it is that you are communicating and how it impacts culture and how culture impacts what it is that you are teaching. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. So Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, 
says the Lord of hosts. And so we can go back to Genesis chapter 1, and in the beginning, right, there was a void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. What does that tell us? That the Spirit of God was, is, a, is a part of the story, part of the narrative from Genesis all the way to Revelation, right? We are going to constantly hear about the Spirit of God. And here in this text... We are, in, we are reminded something that hopefully we innately know, and that is that it is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God that we find victory in our lives. So, the question is, where are the people who believe in the Holy Spirit? Where are they? Because the church seems to, in a lot of ways, be devoid of people who genuinely believe that the Holy Spirit is at work today. So misidentifying the Holy Spirit strips the scriptures of their divine inspiration. When we don't have an accurate view of who the Holy Spirit is, then that puts us in a position to where when somebody, even from the platform, and I've been talking about this for over a year now, that we have churches that are beginning to raise the question around the authority and inspiration of scripture. I listened to one guy just this week talk about how the Bible might be the obstacle for Christianity, written by a bunch of uh, barely cave-dwelling men. And he's calling people to a new Christianity. And, and I know maybe in this church you're thinking, like, that's crazy talk. But I'm telling you, that is sweeping our nation right now, this idea that the Bible is not the Word of God, that it is simply just people interacting with God, and they did the best they could and wrote it down. And when we don't have a view of who the Holy Spirit is, then that's really easy to, that's a conclusion we can come to. Because the, the, the idea that we hold to is that the Holy Spirit is the author, the inspiration, the one that breathed through humanity the Word. And so it is literally the Holy Spirit's words for us. And when we don't identify the Holy Spirit properly, we create the vehicle that ultimately, ultimately allows for any sin to be accepted. Because inside of these churches, inside of these movements that begin to say, well, I don't believe the scriptures to be authoritative in my life, then all of a sudden, the standard for what is acceptable becomes me. It becomes my heart, how I feel in the moment. And I, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm only 42 years old. I say only because I have so much respect now for people that are older than me and have lived some life. Because in my 20s, there are things that I would have done out of emotion because I thought that, man, that just, that's going to make everybody happy. That if somebody hadn't stepped into my life and said, don't do that, you'll, you'll regret it later, the fruit in my life would not be what it is today. And it might feel good today, but what is the fruit that you will have in decades to come. And that conversation is not one that's being had. Instead, it's about how do I feel in the moment? What makes me feel good? So the, the, the question that has to be asked is, is the Bible divinely inspired? And I'm going to tell you that while we as a church can be open-handed and, and kind of agree to disagree in some doctrinal forms, right, some little things, some little caveats, one of these that from the platform we are, I am not going to be open-handed to is that the Bible is divinely inspired by God. It is the anchor. And I'm going to tell you right now that if 
the Bible is not divinely inspired, I do not have faith. And I do not understand the individual who would go, I don't believe in the Bible, but I want to be a good Christian. That does not compute for me. Because everything that I understand about the prophetic nature of who God is, to even identify that Jesus was Jesus, comes from Scripture. Right? And the Jesus that came, that we believe is the Son of God, that was born miraculously, died on a cross, resurrected, ascended, and is soon returning, comes from a man who believed the Scriptures that he taught. And so it all just begins to fall apart for me. Now, who is the Bible inspired by? The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it is critical for us to understand who the Holy Spirit is. I think that there are three primary camps when it comes to understanding who the Holy Spirit is. I'm going to touch on these briefly. The first are uh, the cessationists. This is a group of people who believe that the Holy Spirit operated in a miraculous nature uh, following the ascension of Jesus and that it was only for the lifespan of the apostles. The idea was that it was to validate their ministry and that it is no longer necessary. Okay, I don't hold to this. I believe in the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit at work, alive today. I have seen the Holy Spirit show up. I have seen miraculous signs and wonders. I have a son who is alive because of that. I would love to tell you that story. I've shared it from the platform many times. If you've got questions, I've got answers, right? So I believe in that. The second camp, these are the, sen- the, the sensationalists is what I call them. And they are just all about the Holy Spirit moving and doing oftentimes it's thing, right? And it's uh, almost like it's like this force that we tap into, and it can become so emotional, right, that you haven't had church if there hasn't been some type of quote-unquote move. And so uh, uh, just like uh, I was in a church one time in a service, and they needed to raise $10,000, and uh, they passed an offering plate around, and then they, they came back and said, oh, man, you know, we only raised $6,000, so we just got to sit here until people give $4,000. And so the pastor just stood there and said, "Who's gonna? I'm going to start with $100 donations right now. And people were staring, and I'm staring because I've never been in a service like that. Maybe you grew up like that, and you're like, man, that's normal. That was not normal for me. That was very uncomfortable. You know, like, it seemed like an eternity later they had their $10,000, right? Okay? But sometimes the, the, the sensationalists can operate like that with the Holy Spirit. Like, we're not going anywhere until there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? People are just moving, okay? So, and then the third group, and this is what I call them, I call them concessionists. This is a group of people who would go, yeah, you know, the Holy Spirit looks like this to me, but you think the Holy Spirit looks like this, and so we're just going to find some middle ground. We're going to figure out, we're just going to make this like modge podge version of the Holy Spirit that makes everybody happy, right? What, you're not even a Christian, but you've got some view? Come on and share it, man. We'll put it on a t-shirt. We're going to love this thing, right? And so the Holy Spirit kind of takes takes on this morphed view. That is the, I think, the fastest growing camp that we have right now. Now, mind you that in the midst of what's happening in the Christian church, the fastest growing religion in the United States right now is witchcraft. You don't believe me? Go look it up. Witches are being converted over at incredible rates. We're getting ready to do some uh, extra deep dives on it this year, but you have got uh, witchcraft stores, supply chains that are popping up all over the place. We've got one on Bull Street. We've got them on Tybee. They're selling stuff, And, and when you read through the the book of Wicca, which is a, a form of witchcraft, uh, I, I was re- I'm, I've been reading it, preparing for some teaching, and the very intro says that you can be a Christian and a witch. 
But the Bible says you can't be a Christian and a witch. And so it's just very confusing for some people, right? And so they're bringing all of this together, and some churches just don't want to offend. And so they just kind of go, well, we, we won't talk about it, or we'll accept your view. We'll create this whole new Frankenstein Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so what I want to do today is I want to talk about who the Holy Spirit is and, and, and who is this Holy Spirit that we can strive for, right? I think if we can properly identify who the Holy Spirit is, it can radically change our faith, okay? So here's what I'm saying to you today. You, can have been, you could have been a Christian your entire life. You could have just gotten saved in the last year, and God can be moving and doing incredible things just like he was through Apollos. Paul's not de de denying that, but something radical happens when we get a proper view of who the Holy Spirit is, okay? So, so here's what I want to do. I want to begin this week with who He is, next week with exactly how can we walk in, in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has some thoughts on who the Holy Spirit is. So I think that's a good place for us to kind of anchor in today, right? Uh, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Let's listen to what it is that he has to say. And, he, and he's sharing his thoughts over his final meal with the disciples. I just want you to think about the gravity of that. Jesus knows that he is about to go to the cross, right? And so you get one last meal with these people you care about. And what are you going to talk about? He wants to talk about this coming Holy Spirit. So John chapter 14, we're going to pull some excerpts from 14, 15, and 16. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Jesus is going and he says, I'm getting ready to leave and it's going to be okay, but you have got to... Do what you have got to keep my commandments. 
Now, if we can't accept the commandments, right, as they're presented, if we begin to go, well, those things are just kind of contrived, right, then either this whole thing falls apart or we are in disobedience. And he says the Holy Spirit's going to come, but it's only going to be for those that are keeping the commandments. It's only going to be for those who are believing. The rest of the world isn't going to have access to this. They're not going to see him. He goes on, and now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I, have the, that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, John 15, okay, beginning in verse 22, he continues. If I had not come and spoke to them, hold on here, and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. So Jesus' word brings conviction, right? Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, final group of texts here, John 16, verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who he has already told us is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever uh, he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus gives us some good insight on who the Holy Spirit is. Let's break this down. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to begin by letting you know that his pronouns are he, him. And if that offends you, take it up with the Holy Spirit because he's the one that told us that those are his pronouns. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal energy like the force, right, from Star Wars or a cosmic consciousness that at its simplest is a sentience or awareness of internal and external existence. The, the, the Holy Spirit is not this thing that's just like, ooh, it's this energy that we tap into. Jesus doesn't describe him that way. He doesn't present him that way. He doesn't say, hey, there's going to be this all-living energy that's in everything and through everything. No, he does not tell us that the Holy Spirit is, is in all things because the Holy Spirit is not in all things and is not all things. 
You see, the Holy Spirit is among us, but the Holy Spirit is in the children of God. The Holy Spirit is in those who know the Lord. So misidentifying the Holy Spirit, listen, is not a uniquely modern premise. This is not something that all of a sudden, like, we've become so culturally aware of who we are that we've somehow decided that we've got to bring some type of clarification to the Scriptures. uh, One of the more famous examples goes back to Arius of Alexandria in 318 A.D. So he taught that Jesus was created by God and was a lesser being who united with God upon his death, becoming the Holy Spirit. So God makes Jesus. Jesus is less than God. Jesus dies. Jesus morphs back into God. And all of a sudden, here you've got this hobbled together Holy Spirit, right? Now, when stuff like this is taught today, we just agree to disagree within the church. It's like, well, they're teaching this over there, but I don't really believe that, but, you know, to each his own. But that's not how the church operated at this point in time. No, in fact, in 325 AD, the church came together and declared Arius a heretic, and in response, they wrote the Nicene Creed, right? You're probably familiar with the Nicene Creed, and it it declares that there is one God, one Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church according to the Scriptures. So there was an individual who was a minister who was teaching in the church something that was not true about who the Holy Spirit is, and then the church comes together, says, that's heresy. It's not biblical. We believe in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures tell us that there is one God, one Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church is ordained and called by Him. And so they decided to make this, 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 uh, this, uh, this creed that humanity could hold on to, right? Now, I want to remind you of this, right? When we see statements like the, the, the Nicene Creed, when we see doctrine that comes up, uh, doctrine is typically a response to false teaching, okay? So when somebody goes, well, you know, this doctrine of, you know, penal substitution, which we'll get to in a few months, we're going to do a doctrine uh, series. And, you know, that wasn't even taught for a thousand years after Jesus' death, right? So, so they didn't even believe that. that. That's not what was happening, okay? So when you hear these things, well, the church didn't teach that until 1500 A.D., so the early church didn't believe it. No, it was just in 1500 A.D. that somebody started teaching heresy, and the church said, that's not what we believe, and so doctrine is formed. We see a prime example of that when they are going into Ephesus and Paul is sharing the gospel. People are saved. They leave, and then here come these, these Zionists behind him, and they say, hey, listen, you've just gotten saved, but you've also got to be circumcised. Word comes to Paul. Paul says, that's not the gospel, right? So they go to the apostles, and they say, hey, some are saying that you have got to be circumcised in order to be saved, and the apostles say, nope, that is not the case, and so what do we see? Doctrine, right? It was just something that was false being taught, so doctrine establishes that that is not what we believe, And so the church has historically had a view of who the Holy Spirit is. And so we need to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, right? The Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. Look back here in John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. John 16, verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 13, when the, Holy, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. These are all activities of a person. 
okay? These are the activities of a person. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not some energy, cosmic force at work around us. The Holy Spirit is a person. And as a person, he can be grieved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As a person, he can be insulted. Hebrews 10, verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? As a person, he can be lied to. Acts chapter 5, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So, so the, the, this is a person, and we interact with the Holy Spirit just like we would interact with any person. So rejecting the Scriptures as divine silences the Holy Spirit and calls him a liar. Because the scriptures claim that they are the inspiration, they are inspired by God through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit says that he interacted with humanity and gave us the words of truth, just as Jesus had just said that he did, if we deny the scriptures, then we innately call the Holy Spirit a liar. Any relationship with God is going to include the Holy Spirit. If you're going to be in relationship with God, and this might be one of those little, little stepping stones for you when you hear that term, like, what does it mean to be in relationship with God? Well, it is about interacting with the Holy Spirit. So we are not to reach out to get a hold of the Holy Spirit as if it were a tool to be wielded, but rather that the Holy Spirit would get a hold of us. Think about that. And this is something that I think that, that is, it's one of those little fine details that the church can become, you know, uh, unaware of, right? Just trying to tell everybody, like, just go, you know, figure out how to tap into the Holy Spirit. But that's the wrong language. In your life, look for the Holy Spirit to tap into you. Allow the Holy Spirit to step into your life. Not that you would step in and out of the Holy Spirit like it's some tool that you can use. It is a person. It is a he. And when you allow him to step in and wield you, that's where you're walking in the power that the Scripture talks about. So we do not wield the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit wields us. That is a it can, it can feel subtle, it can feel like just the minutia, but it is a really important thing for us to understand. This is because the Holy Spirit is not just a person, but is divine. So he's not just like you and I, right? He's not just an, uh, you know, this fallible person who can make mistakes. No, there is divinity. This is why the Holy Spirit is included in the doctrine of the Trinity, so before being excommunicated in 220 A.D., Sibelius taught that the identity of the Holy Spirit was simply a mode in which God operated. Okay, this is called Sibelianism, I believe. And it is a, an idea that the Holy Spirit is just one mode that the Creator God kind of steps into. Right? And you might think to yourself, like, okay, well, that kind of, I could see that making sense, right? Again, the problem is the Scriptures, right? When we're trying to explain the Trinity, which is a very complicated thing to understand, okay? A very, it's going to be even more complicated for me to teach in a few months. It is a difficult thing for us to comprehend exactly how God 
is manifested in three different ways, but it is not three different modes that he takes. And I just want you to look at this. So, so he began to teach that the Holy Spirit was just a way that God operated, and then this was rejected because it denies the individual personhood of the Holy Spirit as prescribed in Scripture as well as the Holy Spirit's divinity. So the church came together and they said, no, 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 the problem with this, while it kind of would make sense in how we would operate, the Scriptures tell us differently, Right? And so if the Holy Spirit is to be trusted, then the Holy Spirit is the one that has brought the words God breathed to us, then we would say that the Holy Spirit is not simply a mode in which God operates, but it is a divine, He is a divine person. Verse 16 of John 14, and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, right? It is not a mode, He is present forever. So it's not just simply something God steps in and out of, the Holy Spirit is eternal, The Holy Spirit, He is forever, and He is with us forever. Now, we might be able to get a glimpse into what that looks like right here on earth today, but what will that look like in eternity, right? What would we be doing? And and, and think about this, man. This stuff just blows my mind. This is why I love sci-fi and fantasy stuff, because it just kind of gets my heart reared up, man. I mean, the, the picture of the New Jerusalem, right, if you set that that the, the measurements of the city onto the earth, it would go into outer space, right? So does that mean that we're going to get a bigger earth, right? Or does that mean that, like, the New Jerusalem operates beyond the, the uh, atmosphere, right? And then it says that only the children of God are allowed to enter and leave, right? What, where are we going, right? What are we doing, right? I mean, like, Classic church, we're in diapers on clouds playing harps all the time, right? But that is not a biblical example of what it's going to look like. And the Holy Spirit is going to be present in this eternity forever among us. What will we be doing? I think it's going to be pretty awesome. I want to be a part of it, right? And who are the people that are not allowed to enter, right? What beings are not allowed to enter it? Because we're the only ones allowed to enter. What are they doing? And how are we interacting with them? I don't have answers for all these questions. If you thought that's what the rest of the sermon was going to be, go read some Tolkien or C.S. Lewis. They can get your heart going on that. John 16, verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. What does that tell us? That he is active. He is forever, and he is actively at work among us. Actively at work among us. Now, I want to talk about spiritual abuse for a moment because this is one of those topics right now that has really spun itself up. Uh, You see YouTube channels dedicated to this. You see people that are writing books on how the church hurt me, spiritual abuse. So spiritual abuse, I believe, and misidentifying the Holy Spirit go hand in hand. They go hand in hand, okay? Let's go back to Acts chapter 5 for just a moment here in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Who are these people? They are a part of a collective that have come together and pledged to be this new church following the resurrection of Jesus. They have agreed to sell everything that they have. This was their own agreement, sell everything that they have and to evenly distribute it out to those who are in need. Okay? All right. So you have a man and a woman okay, who, are, who, who have a piece of property, and they want to be a part of this collective. They want to be a part of this new church group, right? And they are willing to step in and pledge and say they're going to do this thing, right? But in their hearts, they're not really going to. You see, 
it says in verse 2, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So here's what I want to say, is that there are those in the church who have influence, yet lie to the Holy Spirit. And it should not surprise us, right, that people like that hurt people, right? And so when somebody wants to talk about spiritual abuse, I want to tell you with my heels dug in the sand that it is not a work of God and it is not a result of the church and it is not something that needs to be used to somehow tear down the, the, the work of God. It is ridiculous. It is exclusively the work of those that do not accept the Holy Spirit for who the Holy Spirit is, and they do not accept the Word for what the Word is, and so therefore they are liars. Some of them fill platforms. Some of them work in kids' ministry. Some of them are in production. They're all bands. And, and listen, if the New Testament church led by the apostles who walked with Jesus are not exempt from liars, right, then I'm going to tell you today the church is not going to somehow be able to radically figure that thing out. And I heard a, a person say it to me this way one time, have you ever been to a restaurant and gotten food poisoning. Many of us have. Did you stop eating? No. It's ridiculous. And we don't have therapy groups for people who got food poisoning, right? Now, I'm not saying that you haven't been hurt in such a way that you need help, right? But it's typically the action, the deed that was done that you really need help from, not the church globally. And if you find a church that's that sick and that broken, good news. In Savannah, Georgia, there's one half a block away. You can go try a different one. You don't have to lay there and continue to be beat down. So those, there are also those in the church who are influenced by those who lie to the Holy Spirit. And this is the unfortunate thing. This is the wake that as a pastor breaks my heart is when sometimes we identify somebody who is, is the liar. They're not accepting the Holy Spirit. They're not accepting the teaching. They're making excuses right? Sometimes we don't identify them before they have influenced others, and there are those that are being influenced, and yes, it hurts, right? Okay, trust that the shepherd, if they're a good shepherd, finds out about it. They use the rod. They chase the wolf off. Sometimes the wolf runs because they know the rod's coming, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the, they get gone, and then we do the process. We do the work of healing, but we don't abandon what God is doing and who God is. Now, let's go back to this Holy Spirit, right? When we strive for the Holy Spirit, we accept and declare. I put its power, right? And I, I, I typed this out, and then I went to correct it, and I left it on purpose because I want to talk to you about how even in my own nature, raised, being raised in church, how easy it is to view the Holy Spirit as this idea of its, right? And it is Him. It is He. It is not this thing out there. He is a divine person is what the Scriptures tell us. And when we strive for the Holy Spirit, we accept and declare His power. And this is the crux of why we need to understand this. And to me, the very reason that the Word needs to be rejected by some, those that will reject the Holy Spirit need to reject the Word because the Word calls them out. 
Paul writing to Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to close with this, but check this out. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I'm going to tell you, that list makes up the formula of what some churches that call themselves Christ followers look like today. And if we accept Scripture, we would identify that's not God. But if we deny Scripture, then we do not have to be held accountable to this. And this is why this is so important. I want to just pause here on this lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Because this was a really good uh, kind of word spin for Paul. And, and, And I want to, I've said this before, but I just want to just restate this. I'm not a a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination. My understanding is that the way that the Greek language works is that there may be an idea that you're trying to communicate that there's not a word for. And so they create compound words constantly. And sometimes those compound words are not commonly used words. So you'll find words in Scripture that you might not find in other texts of the day. Just like in other texts of the day, you might find words that don't show up over and over and over. Because if a writer is trying to communicate a thought, the way the Greek language works is that you can take these words, put them together, and convey the thought. So this word in the Greek, okay, uh, would break down to pleasure-loving, fond of pleasure. That's why we translate it to be lovers of pleasure. But watch this. This comes from two Greek words pushed together. Philos, having an affinity for, and then hedon, right? Maybe you're familiar with hedonism. Uh, This is an ideology that's really even built itself up today. Uh, This is pleasure that would have only good consequences. So they have an affinity, what Paul is saying, a desire for a type of pleasure that would only have good consequences. The problem is, right, and I'm going to back up when we look at this in that text, rather than lovers of God. So you can have an intent that I'm living a life of pleasure and nobody's getting hurt. These are good things. And give up being a lover of God. And watch what he says here in the next verse. Verse 5. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, and then he says, avoid such people. Godliness, what does that mean? The appearance of godliness. Godliness would be piety towards God or the gospel scheme. So, so godliness is that I have an affinity for the things of God, for the story of God, the greatest story ever told, right? But what does he say? He says that they have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, Right? Denying its power. What is the power? Well, the power that we see over and over is the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul talks about the Holy Spirit at great length in his writings, right? And so if we, if we don't properly tap into who the Holy Spirit is and his role in our lives, right, we can take on a form of godliness 
and then we can deny all of the things that God might be trying to do. What is this word power? It is dynamin, and that is miraculous power. It is a force. There is movement. It is, it is coming. The Holy Spirit is an active, present uh, person working divinely in our lives. And he ends this thought by saying, For among them there are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. And here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is a person who is divine and is at work, and the Holy Spirit will not let the name of God be defamed. And so the Holy Spirit will do the work that the Holy Spirit will do. And you and I, it's not complicated. We get to partner with the Holy Spirit. We get to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this, is, this becomes kind of my problem with a lot of uh, charismatic doctrine, all right? And this is why, like, you'll hear me say uh, kind of uh, jokingly, like, I'm Pentecostal with a seatbelt or charismatic with a seatbelt. Like, I believe that the Holy Spirit, he, He'll do what He wants to do. He'll minister and show up and move. And growing up in the charismatic movement, one of the things that, um, that many denominations believe is this statement that the uh, initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the evidence of speaking in tongues. And so they quite literally would teach that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They get this because there are a number of times in Scripture, I've shared this before, where uh, the Holy Spirit is poured out just like we saw earlier, and they did speak in tongues, but there are also times where the Holy Spirit is poured out and it doesn't say that they spoke in tongues. Listen, the, the, Paul made it very clear for us that the gift of tongues is just one gifting of the Holy Spirit, right? That's what we've been talking about. It's just one. The Holy Spirit wants to impart gifts and use us to wield us for the good of the kingdom of heaven for our families. And I'm telling you this. Listen to me. I'm telling you, I'm only 42 years old, but I'm, I've already seen it in my life. If you will surrender to the word of God and the move of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of your life, it may not happen tomorrow where all of a sudden you're like, oh man, everything's great. I'm telling you, you will have a future that you are proud of. You will have a legacy that you look back at and say, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God has this taken place in my life. And I want that for each of you. And we wanted to pause in this conversation that Paul has been having on the Holy Spirit to really kind of identify who he is in our lives. And we have a, we have a way prescribed by Scripture for how we walk out that power and authority. And we're going to talk about that next week. Let's stand to our feet as we close today. The Holy Spirit is a person who is divine and is ready to minister among us. And I'm telling you, I've got some prayer requests right now that are way bigger than me. Dear friends of mine, she's been diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
And we are praying and believing for the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do. Now, do I trust God? I absolutely trust God. I, 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 I try to be careful how much I, sh you know, how often I share about our experience with our son and his healing because I don't want him growing up always hearing that, you know. I want him to have a, his own relationship with God. But I'm going to tell you, when the doctors told us with, that there was no way he would live, they made it abundantly clear he will die. They sat us down. They said, you're not being realistic. It is not happening. We had a guy who is a, a believer tell us, I'm a Christian. I go to church. God does not do what you are asking him to do. And we were believing for our son to live. And we would pray. I want to tell you, though, we would get down on our knees every night after praying and believing all day for healing, and we would pray another prayer. And this was the one that we had to pray, bawling our eyes out, gritting our teeth to get out of, to get the lung capacity to even say it. And that was that, God, you know what we do not know, and so we trust you no matter what. No matter what. And it wasn't a cop-out. It was really us declaring that this was in God's hands. And as his children were coming and asking, and I get it, 42 years old, four kids, there are plenty of times where my kids come begging for something, and I know it's not what they need, right? It crushes them, it makes them feel hurt, but it's the right thing. And I always want to be open to the fact that the Holy Spirit knows what I do not know. But God says I can still come and ask. I want to interact with a divine person that, that, is, that is feeling what I'm feeling and knows the heart of God. And I want that for you. So let's close our eyes just for a moment. We're going to close in prayer. Father, we just come to you. I am thankful that you have sent your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. Today we receive all of the instruction. I am thankful that the Holy Spirit, that He is going to continue to give guidance and instruction. He'll continue to convict and lead us to be better people. Lord, we want to be a body of believers that are, that are just in pursuit, in pursuit of right living, and we want to see the Holy Spirit ministering in our midst. We want to see those that are hurting, those that are broken, those that are in need of restoration and healing and, 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 and new beginnings. We want to see the Holy Spirit minister and bring those things to fruition. We fully understand that it's not going to be by anything that we do, but only what you do. And so we come and commit this next season of our lives, this next season of this church, we commit it into your hands. Have your way. Allow us to be used as vessels to minister right here in this community, in this neighborhood, but even to this city and to the world around, reminding people that the Holy Spirit is willing and ready to move on our behalf. We love you and praise you. In your mighty name, amen.